want to start today by telling you a story. Back in March of 2011, my wife, Melody, and I put our house up for sale. We had uh, felt a very strong leading that God was calling us to begin to pastor a church. We were the youth pastor here at City Church, and we just knew that God was, was taking us on to a new step, and we needed to prepare to pastor a church. So we put our house up for sale in March of 2011. We met with Justin Lance, my best man in my wedding, and uh, our, became our real estate agent. His slogan is, Justin Lance, just give him one chance. That's a true story. Uh, and <laughs> it's on YouTube. You can go laugh at him. That's what I do. Uh, but so we met with Justin and, and put our house up for sale, and we started praying big, bold prayers. We knew that our house was more expensive, that we owed more on it than it was really worth, but we were trusting God. We knew God was leading us to prepare to pastor, and we were convinced he, he was going to take us out. We were actually going to move to Dallas and begin to train there and get ready to go plant a church. That was our game plan in March of 2011. And so we put the house up for sale, and, and we just began going before God and just claiming, God, this thing is going to sell. We are going to get all the money that we need for it. We're going to walk away without owing anything on it, and you are going to provide. And we were confident. We were filled with faith, filled with hope filled with belief that God was going to do something awesome. So April rolls around, a couple people look at the house, nobody makes an offer. No big deal, it's early. May, June, July, August, September. We got to September 15th, which was six months after we put our house on the market. And the way that our contract was written up, it was only supposed to be up for six months. And so Justin checks in with us and he's like, we're getting to the end of the six months here. What do you think you want to do? Do you want to take it off the market for a little while? Do you want to lower the price? He's like, you really need to lower the price. Uh, what do you think we should do here? And so we're like, well, we're going to take some time and, and begin to feel it out. But it was crazy because for six months, we were so confident, God, we know that you're telling us to prepare for this. And we really believe this is the step we're supposed to take. Why isn't this house selling? And I don't know if you've ever had the uncomfortability, the, the tension the nagging question of why is my prayer not getting answered? Why am I asking for this thing? Why have I put this thing before the Lord and it's just not happening? I imagine in, in a group this size, most of us, if you've been walking with God for any length of time, you've probably had a season, you've probably had a point or a few in your life where you went before God with a big request and it seemed like nothing happened. It seemed like your prayer wasn't getting answered. No matter how hard you prayed, no matter how often you prayed, no matter how much support you rallied, how many pastors you talked to or ministers or how many people you gathered around you, the prayer just didn't seem to come to pass. I think most of us have been there. And inevitably, when we go through these seasons, we always come back to one question. Why? Why? Why isn't it happening, God? Why isn't it's selling. And generally, as pastor here, I would recommend to you that you focus on the what is God trying to teach you or what is God asking you to do or what are your next steps, that what is the more important question than the why. But as we got into this series, I thought it was very important to address the question of why. Because I'm challenging you, I am compelling you, I am telling you as your pastor is confidently as I can to ask God for big things, to go before him and ask him for, for audacious requests, to believe God that he is for you and not against you, that he is willing, and if he is willing, he is also able. But the reality is that sometimes, even in the midst of praying those big things, it seems like nothing happens. 
And the good news is that God's word is not silent on this topic. The good news is that God's word speaks to us about those situations when we ask God for something and it seems like nothing is taking place. So I want to talk to you today on the question of why some prayers seem to go unanswered. Maybe you're in a season right now where you're asking God for something and it seems like it's just not coming to pass. Maybe you've recently gone through one of those seasons. Maybe you are heading into one and you don't realize it. But I want to give you some hope today. I want to give you some comfort. I want to give you some answers to that question that nags at us of why would my prayer not be answered? Why has God not done this thing that I feel like he needs to do? So I want to give you four answers today. This uh, message actually started out with ten from scripture. And, and I realized that I could not do those ten justice in one message. So I told you that today was going to be the last week of this series and I lied. Uh, we are going to go one more week because I'm going to break this in. We're going to hit four of these today, and we're going to hit six of them next week because I didn't want to just have to fly through them. I really want to be able to speak to them for you. So we will, I promise this time, wrap up our series next week. But we're going to look at four reasons why some of our prayers seem to go unanswered today. The first of these is, is very simple. Some prayers are just inappropriate. They're not the right prayers. They're not things that we need to be asking God for. Jesus' disciples, believe it or not, were really good at making inappropriate requests. I think sometimes we kind of build the disciples up. We're like, man, they spent three years with Jesus. They saw him feed 5,000. They saw him walk on water. They had to be so close to God. And that when we actually read about them, they're pretty much idiots. Like, God used the weakest, dumbest, stupidest group of people that he could to bring himself glory. And aren't you glad of that? That we can be dumb, we can make mistakes, we can just not have it all together sometimes, and God can use us anyway. But I'm going to give you a few examples. The first example I want to look at is in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 28. If you have your Bible, you can turn there and kind of glance over it as we talk about it. But it's the story of the transfiguration. Basically, Jesus has his posse, his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. And they go up, he takes these three up with him on a mountaintop. He's like, well, there's something big about to happen. And right before the eyes of Peter, James, and John, Moses and Elijah show up from beyond the grave. Like from hundreds of years back, and I don't know how they knew. Like they didn't have pictures of Moses and Elijah. Maybe Moses was holding the Ten Commandments. I don't know. But they knew as soon as they saw him, whoa, that's Moses and Elijah. Like they had some sort of a picture of these two guys. So Moses and Elijah show up, and then Jesus actually transfigures. He changes form right in front of them. And I can't explain exactly what that's like. I don't think it was Optimus Prime, but it was something incredible that went on on that mountain. I don't know exactly. But so Peter, James, and John are like us. They like exciting stuff. They like action. And so they see this go down, and they're like, this is awesome. We're never leaving. Jesus, we're building a building right here. We're camping out. I'm never leaving this mountaintop. And how does Jesus respond? If you know the story, Jesus says, no, we got to go back down the mountain because there's a whole lot of people out there that don't know about me. There's a whole lot of people out there that need to hear about me. Oh, by the way, I got to go to the cross and die for their sins so that you can spend eternity in heaven. We can't stay on this mountaintop. And sometimes we ask God for things. Uh, if you've ever been on a mission trip, 
And he spent seven days or ten days just serving God. And it's incredible. And everybody gets along in like this unnatural way. And you're like, I never want to leave the mission field. You can ask people who spend their career in the mission field. It's not like that. It's not real. Like there's incredible things that happen on the mission field. And God uses people in amazing ways. But it's, it's real life. That, that spiritual high, that is a very short period of time that that can last, that you can live in that bubble. And God said, no, you got to go back. I've got other stuff for you to accomplish. So the disciples didn't get to have that prayer request from Jesus answered in that moment. Shortly after the transfiguration, in fact, in Luke chapter 9, if you read just a little further on, in verse 52, we see another request that James and John are going to make. Verse 52, it says, and he, he being Jesus, sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. They're about to head back to Jerusalem. It says, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading to Jerusalem. Now watch this in verse 54. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? They said no to you. They need to die. <laughs> this is why we're not God. Right? Like, we look at that like, you're crazy. How could you call down fire from heaven? You ever been in traffic and somebody cut you off? Lightning strike. Boom. Right? This is why he's God and we're not. They make the most inappropriate, ridiculous request. Can we call down fire from heaven and roast them like a barbecue? And Jesus turns to them and he rebukes them. Again, in Matthew 20. James and John, I don't know what it was about these two, but they, they weren't afraid to ask big things, I guess. Well, they come, and this time they get mom in on it. And mom comes to Jesus, and she kneels before Jesus, and she says, I've got this huge request for you. When you come back in glory in your kingdom, and you sit in, on the throne and rule over everything, can my two sons be on the thrones next to you? Can James be on your right and John on your left? And Jesus says, well, that's not even a request that I can answer. That's not even for me to choose. That's something that the Father has chosen, and he's already prepared for that. But clearly, they were asking something incredibly inappropriate. They were asking something very selfish. And we can look at those things, and we can say, man, they were nuts. They should know better. They were Je with Jesus. And I think the truth is, if the disciples were capable of making inappropriate requests, we are too. Sometimes we go before God, and we ask him for things that just aren't right, that just don't need to happen, things that are not in his will, that are not in his plan. And so in September 2011, we took our house off the market. We decided we got to take some time and figure out what are we going to do with this house. And we were still convinced that we're supposed to move. And so we started examining our options. We looked at maybe renting the house to somebody. We looked at uh, figuring out a way to sell it for less and, and find a way to pay the difference. We were trying any option we could come up with, and, and nothing seemed to work. It seemed like everywhere we turned, there was a stop sign. So by December, we had had enough. We decided, you know what? If God wants us to do this, maybe we just need to step out in faith. Maybe we need to be like Peter and just get out of the boat. We don't need to understand how it works. So we're putting a date on it. So we said April 30th, 2012 will be our last day at City Church. It'll be our last day in DeSoto County. We're going to move to Dallas in May of 2012. And that was our game plan for a few weeks. And then in June, or excuse me, in January of 2012, we found out that, that Pastor Ricky, who was the lead pastor here at the time, was stepping down. He was going to resign 
from City Church, and, and he let us know what was going on. And even when we first found out, our, our focus was still here. This is what we think God has told us to do. We're going to Dallas. We're supposed to lead a church. We're supposed to plan a church. This is what's going on. We're leaving town. And it took a little time in that before God was able to kind of open our eyes to the possibility that he was telling us to prepare to lead a church, not to go somewhere else to lead a church, but because there was going to be an opening here. And we were supposed to take this congregation over, and we were supposed to take responsibility for leading all of you wonderful, awesome people spiritually. And so finally, when, when we finally got it, when we finally realized this was going to happen, and we told Pastor Ricky, because he, he wanted to nominate us as his successors, we said, hey, we'll, we'll take the nomination. If you can put us before the church, we'll see what happens. And then the church votes us in by a unanimous vote, which shocked everybody, I think. I don't know what everybody was thinking, but you're stuck with us now. Uh, when all that happened, the picture became so clear. This is why God said no. This is why we couldn't sell our house. This is why nobody wanted 2286 Ashland Drive. This is why it can't happen. Because we're supposed to be here. And if we had, he had answered our request, if he'd done what we wanted and we had sold the house, we'd have been long gone for the opportunity that God had for us. Sometimes God says no because he just knows there's something better. Sometimes we don't know how great his plan for us really is. And sometimes we can see something good, something that makes sense, something that's appealing, something that's attractive that, that we may even feel like he's leading us toward, but it may not be his best. And sometimes when we make those requests, he's not going to honor them because he's got something greater in store for us. So the first type of unanswered prayer that we see is the inappropriate request, which is closely tied to the second type of, of prayer that is denied, and that's sometimes we pray with wrong motives. Sometimes we pray with, with bad motives. Sometimes the request isn't even a bad thing. Sometimes we're just praying it for the wrong reason. Now, I, I believe that our motives were very pure when we were trying to sell our house, and God just said no because he had a greater plan. And I've been guilty of praying things before with bad motives as well. Thinking back to my life as a teenager, I can remember like asking God for this new pair of Nikes, like asking God for, Lord, I really need this new pair of jeans. God, I just, I just really need a Lamborghini. I would bring you so much glory if I had a Lamborghini. People would see how amazing you are. Uh, I wasn't necessarily praying those things with the right reasons. And most of the time, God said, no, he did give me the Lamborghini, but the rest of them I didn't get. Uh, and sometimes we ask God for things, and our heart's just not in the right place. Sometimes we're looking for things for our own selfish reasons, our own selfish desires. For me, the motive was pride. I wanted people to see how cool I was. I wanted to be fashionable. I wanted to be somebody. Maybe you've prayed something at some point in your life with the wrong motive. So maybe you've gone to him with something that you wanted him to do that was just not right. Or your heart wasn't in the right place. I think the most common example of this is the, oh God, please change this other person prayer. Uh, anytime Christians are in relationship with other Christians, whether it's uh, husband to wife or wife to husband, parent to child, child to parent, pastor to church, church to pastor, boss to employee, employee to boss, we find opportunities to get really frustrated with each other. We see all the things that are wrong with the people all around us. Well, if they just do this, this, and this, if they just get this fixed, they would be so great to work with. They would be so easy to live with. They'd be so awesome to get along with. So many times we go to God asking 
for him to change some other person. And don't get me wrong. Just asking God to change somebody else is not in and of itself an inappropriate prayer. I've got two brothers and a sister who are far from God right now. It is appropriate for me to pray that they change. It is appropriate for me to pray for addiction to be broken. It is appropriate for me to pray for the lost to come to Jesus, for, for restoration to happen, for those incredible changes to take place in their lives. It's absolutely appropriate. It's something I should honestly pray more than I do. But sometimes we ask God to change somebody not because we want what's best for them, but because it'd make our life easier. And that's when the motive of the request is off. That's when it's not exactly the way it should be. I think if we were really honest, a more authentic prayer in that situation would sound like this. God, I don't want to face my own shortcomings. I don't want to work on my weaknesses. I don't want to try to fix this relationship. I don't really want to change at all. So change them. So everything will be smooth for me. So make them into the person that I need them to be for all my needs and all my wants to be met. And if that's the real attitude behind your prayer, I think a lot of times God's going to say no. I think a lot of times he's not going to honor that request. I have a test for you. This is what I call the request test. And if you find yourself facing unanswered prayers, this is one thing that you can begin to, to check with those requests to see if your motives are really pure. Ask yourself, if God granted your request, A, would it bring more glory to God? Would God be glorified if your request was answered? B, would it advance the kingdom of God? Would the kingdom of God become greater? Would more people come to Jesus because your prayer was answered? Ask him, C, would it help people? Would others, and when I buy people, that doesn't mean me. <laughs> would it help someone else? Is somebody going to be benefited? I'm not saying you can't pray for, for God to help your situation. God cares about your situation. But to check your motives, this is a really way, good way to do it. And then number four, would it help you, or D, would it help me to grow spiritually? Would it help me to grow spiritually? Am I going to be a better Christian? Am I going to be closer to God if this request is answered? When we really look at the motives behind our requests, I think that prayer can serve to purify us so much. When we really are willing to examine our motives Sometimes we realize that our motives might be a little bit off, and we can say, God, forgive me. Help me to grow. Help me to be, to make the requests of you, to present things before you in, in such a way that my motives are right, that my heart's in the right place, that I'm truly hoping and praying for somebody else to be benefited, for somebody else to be blessed, or, or for your kingdom to grow. Now, again, let, let me say this. I'm not saying you can't, if you need a, good, a better job, so that you can pay your bills. I'm not saying you can't ask God for a better job. I'm not saying you can't ask job for God for more hours. I'm not saying you can't make prayers that are for yourself. You're the person who can pray for yourself the best. You've got more authority to go before God for you than you do for anybody else. So I'm not saying don't go before him in those situations. Just make sure that your motive in asking that thing is right. If you're asking God, I need to, I need to raise so I can send my kids to college, that's a good prayer. If you're asking God, I need to raise so that I can... I don't know, go blow money on this or that, it may not necessarily be the right prayer. It may not necessarily be the right thing. So check your motives. Sometimes God may say no because our request is inappropriate or because our motives are off. The third reason I want to look at today that some of our prayers go unanswered is a much, much bigger picture. We've kind of zoomed in on ourselves and our heart. Now we're going to zoom out and look at the big picture of the world. And that's this, number three, everything is not yet submitted to God. Everything's not submitted to God. Let me explain that a little bit because this may sound like blasphemy to some of you. 
Yes, Jesus achieved victory over Satan on the cross. He conquered the grave. He conquered sin. He conquered death. But he hasn't achieved final victory yet. There is still part of the story yet to be told. That's why we have the book of Revelation, because we see how the story ends, and we know that Jesus wins. That's the end of the book. That's the important thing. Jesus wins, and if we're with Jesus, we win. It's an important place to be. It's an important thing to know. But the truth is, right now, there's still an enemy active in the world. Satan's still here. He's still messing stuff up. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, a book that was written after Jesus died and rose again, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, refers to Satan as the prince of this world. Satan's got some authority here. He's got some power here. He's still doing things here, and he has not gotten lazy. He has not gotten complacent. I don't know about your life, but I know he's still active in mine. He's still messing stuff up. So everything is not completely and finally submitted to God yet. Make no mistake, Satan's years are counted. His end is sure. He is going to lose. It's going to happen. But right now in this season, in this era, he still has some influence and authority. Every time another unborn baby is aborted, every time another innocent girl is raped, every time another kid goes to bed hungry, it's evidence that there's an enemy who's still got some power in this world. There's some terrible, tragic, awful things that happen, and those things are not the will of God. God is not putting that on his people. He is not causing us to sin. There is stuff going on that's not under God's control. Don't get me wrong. God is in charge. He's on the throne. But even though he's in charge, he's not in total, absolute control of everything that happens. He's given us a free will. He's given us the ability to make decisions. And a lot of times we use that ability to harm others. The good news, in fact, I would say the great news is that God gets the final say. And he will assert his universal sovereignty over everything when Jesus returns the second time. He's going to be large and in charge. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 verse, or excuse me, 21 verse 4, he says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the order of things has passed away. See, we're under an order right now that's going to pass away, and there's going to be a new order. There's going to be a new reign of Jesus Christ, and it's coming. But right now, not everything happens the way that it's supposed to. Not everything happens the way that we want it to. There is a spiritual force of darkness in this world. Now, God's given us authority over that darkness. Because of the blood of Jesus, you have authority to trample over serpents and, and scorpions and, and demons. Like, you have that authority under the name of Jesus. It's an amazing thing that I think all too often we don't walk in that authority. We don't exercise that authority. We don't recognize the spiritual warfare that's going on. Because a lot of times our prayers don't get answered because we don't, exercise that authority because we don't see God's given us this opportunity and we do live in a, in a world that is still in a fallen state that still has an enemy. Another reason, the last one we're going to look at today is that sometimes our prayers don't get answered because sometimes God says not yet. Everybody's least favorite words next to no, right? If you're not going to hear no, the worst thing that can come out of somebody's mouth is not yet. We live in, in an instant society, in an instant culture where we want everything now. If I wait three minutes at Taco Bell, I'm like, what's going on back there? It's the deal. Step it up. It's not supposed to happen this way. We're always looking for faster. We're always looking for quicker. We're always looking for instant gratification. 
education. Parents, you know that not yet are your kids' least favorite words next to no, right? For example, they might, your kid might say something like this, well, my birthday is tomorrow. Why can't I just open my presents tonight? It's close enough. And you say, nope, not yet. Drives them crazy. They hate it. They might say, and this is terrible that we live in this world where I can even say this. But they might say something like, all the other second graders have cell phones. Why can't I have one? That's a whole other sermon. But hopefully your response is, not yet. Please let me advise you. Don't give your second grader a cell phone. Uh, you might say something like, well, I just turned 13, so now that I'm a teenager, can I learn to drive? Give me the keys. No, not yet. Not yet. Sometimes we hate to hear. In fact, I think most of the time we hate to hear not yet. But the truth is there's a grown-up kid in all of us. We hate to hear it, too. It's not just children. There is an immaturity in our human nature, in our flesh nature, and I think especially in the generation we live in that we hate to hear not yet. We think if we ask God something, it should happen right now. Like God's the genie in the bottle, and as soon as we speak something, boom, it should happen immediately before our eyes. I believe we serve a God who wants to meet every one of our needs, who wants to grant all of our requests, who wants to bless us in an incredible way. But sometimes we look at this all-knowing, all-wise, loving Heavenly Father, and we say, why don't I have this yet? I kind of resp respond like this, like, but God, don't you understand? I need it now, not three years from now, not three months from now, today. We get that immature kind of whiny voice with God, and maybe we don't actually say it that way, but a lot of times that's our attitude of our heart, that we've got to have it right now. Thankfully, God's a good parent. And good parents know you can't be intimidated by your kids whining, by their tantrum, by their refusal to accept, not yet. You got to put your foot down. You got to say, no, this is what's best for you. I know when it's going to be best for you. Right now, if I give this thing to you, you let that 13-year-old drive, they're probably going to hurt themselves. They're definitely going to hurt somebody, probably themselves. And you know the best thing is to say, no, not yet. God's the same way with us. Many times he knows that he can't answer our prayer today because we're not ready for it, because we're not in a position to, to use it the right way, because there's something else we need to learn. There's some area we need to grow in before he can bless us in that way to where we don't harm ourselves with it. We've got to be willing to accept the not yet. Understand this, with God, delay is not necessarily denial. Just because God says not yet doesn't mean it's never going to happen. Sometimes God delays things so that we can modify our requests, so that we can tweak our requests. When we were praying for the house to sell, what we were really praying is God help us to be in position to be the pastors that you want us to be. I mean, that was the real prayer behind the prayer. That was what we wanted, is we wanted God to position us to, to walk in the calling that he had on our lives. And so even though he said, no, we're, we're not selling the house, and we still live in that house, and we still don't know that it'll sell anytime soon, but it's not for sale now. We like it. We're happy. We got it fixed up while we put it on the market, so now it's nice for us. That worked out really nice. But, but sometimes he says not yet because he needs to tweak the prayer just a little bit. The prayer really didn't need to be God sell the house. The prayer needed to be God help us to lead this church to the best of our ability. Speak to us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Show us 
the decisions that we need to make to protect your people, to reach people for the glory of Jesus Christ. That was the prayer behind the prayer, but now we get to pray it explicitly. Now it gets to come out of our mouth and not just out of our heart. Sometimes God delays so that we can develop character qualities like endurance, trust, patience, submission, things that we would probably never develop on our own if God just answered our request like a genie in the bottle. But because we learn to wait, we learn to develop patience, we learn to get that fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, sometimes we have to wait. And sometimes God delays because there's some spiritual warfare going on. One of the most fascinating stories in Scripture is in Daniel chapter 10. I love this story so much. I think it's so obscure. So many people aren't aware of it, don't know it. You've got to hear what happens in Daniel chapter 10. Excuse me. Uh, basically, what's going on here is Daniel's been praying and seeking God for his people, for the Israelites. The Israelites have been taken off into captivity. They're in Persia, a part of the Persian kingdom. And Daniel is going before God and just praying for his people. And this is where we get the principle of the Daniel fast. For 21 days, Daniel has separated himself. He's not eating any meat. He's not eating any dairy. He's not drinking any wine. All he's having basically is fruits and vegetables. And side note, we do a 21-day Daniel fast here at City Church at the beginning of the year. Get ready in January. It's coming. This is where we get the principle for it. I think it's such an impactful, life-changing thing. We're going to challenge you to partake in that next year. Uh, but Daniel goes on this fast for 21 days, and he sets aside. I'm taking three weeks to seek God, to ask God to bless our people. And then in verse 12, an angel shows up in a vision on day 21. It says this, the angel continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gaining understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. So day one, Daniel begins to pray. God answers the prayer in day one. He says, hey, you, angel, get down there. Go answer what Daniel needs to do. Whatever he needs, whatever he's asking for, you are on the case. I'm putting you in charge of answering Daniel's prayer. So day one, God answers the prayer. But look what happens. This is verse 13. But the prince of the Persian kingdom... This is not an earthly prince. This is a, a spiritual prince. This is a demonic power. Resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes or one of the archangels, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now, I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. The angel got held up by a demonic force. For 21 days. I don't know what angels and demons fighting looks like. I don't know if they use swords or spears or lasers. I don't know if it's like Star Wars. I'm not sure what, it, what it's like. But we see here in scripture that there's a spiritual darkness that can hold us back from advancing, from, he, from having our prayers answered right now. Good news for Daniel is he kept praying for 21 days. God had laid it on his heart. I'm going to have you fast for 21 days. And he fasted for 21 days. And that was the exact length of time that the spiritual warfare took place. Daniel didn't know it, but he was interceding for those angels to defeat that demonic power, to get there to provide the help that he needed for his people. It's an incredible story. It's amazing to see this. And I've taught on this before, uh, and I, I pronounced it wrong. But basically, faith is like a rope. That if you take a, a lasso, if a rodeo guy takes a lasso and he throws that rope out there and he grabs Tim in the second row, he can reel Tim in. But Tim's not, he's got Tim now because the lasso's got him, 
but it's going to take him a little time before Tim's there. You could look at it like a fishing. Like you cast that thing out there, you get some big old fish on your line. You've got the fish, but you still got to bring him in. Fish, or fish works the same way. Prayer works the same way. Praise God. Prayer works just like that. Faith works just like that, that you've got to grab hold of it, and then you're still going to take some time to bring it in. Daniel fasted for 21 days, believed God for 21 days. And at the end of his 21 days, he got what he was looking for. His request was answered. The angel showed up with the answer. God answered it day one, but it took some time in the spirit realm. Sometimes we just got to be patient. Sometimes we just got to keep on praying, keep on believing, keep on trusting. Sometimes we got to do some spiritual warfare for our family. Sometimes we got to go to bat. Instead of asking God to do everything, God's given us some authority, and we need to walk in that authority and, and begin to exercise it, begin to speak to the forces that are coming against our family, that are coming against our finances, that are coming against uh, our, our bondage, our addiction, whatever it is that we might be going through. God's given you that authority. You've got to use it. Sometimes we've got to be patient. Sometimes it's going to take some time. No matter what reason your prayer isn't answered, if, if it's because you've prayed something inappropriate, if it's because you prayed something with the wrong motives, it's because not everything's submitted to God yet, or, or maybe God just had to tell you, not yet. The good news is this. There's two things. Number one, there's a final day coming where God rules over it all, and every good thing is going to happen in your life. Even if there's some stuff that happens in this world that we don't like, that isn't great, there is a day coming where there will be no tears, no pain, no sorrows. The second thing you need to know is this. Even if your prayer isn't answered, keep on praying. Keep talking to God. Keep trusting in him. The Bible says that, that Jesus taught that parable we looked at last week of the persistent widow to teach them to always pray and never give up. Always pray. Always talk to God. Always go before him. And don't you dare ever give up. Because here's the beautiful thing. God doesn't give up on us. He is patient with us. In our junk, in our mistakes, in our flaws, in our, in our failures, he's patient. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on prayer. Keep going before him. Keep seeking him. And you're going to see so many of your prayers answered. And many times, the ones that you don't see answered, you're going to begin to see why. Why did this not happen in this season? Some things we're not going to know till the next life. Some things we're not going to find out. And why, God, why didn't this come to pass? Why didn't this happen? Or by the time we get in God's presence, we may not care anymore. We may have much bigger and more important things to worry about. Like, oh my gosh, that's Jesus right there. I'm not really worried about the reason I didn't get that prayer answered anymore. But I think you'll be able to get those answers in heaven. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you.